Hey guys, my guest today was Om Rupani. Om is an instructor of Dominance and Submission, and he teaches and does workshops all around the United States and Europe. In this episode, we talked about the Dominance and Submission, of course, including stuff like, why would anyone in their right mind go into the submissive mode voluntarily? What, what can they gain from it? We talked about the integration of sexual archetypes, meaning why does it why it makes sense to really explore what you like in sex and to accept it and to integrate it in yourself and how it's going to help you to, to improve your relationships and sex life. And eventually we talked about the aggression, the definition of aggression from the masculine and the feminine perspective and its integration for the nice guys. So especially if you find yourself being a nice guy at times meaning that you hide your true self your true thoughts feelings and try to be nice just in order that other people like you i think you will really enjoy this episode so have fun when it comes to dominance and submission I think what comes up mostly or, or what came up for me in past was that the dominant position is always the winning position. And when, when one is dom and the other one submits, the dom won and the, the sub lost. So that's yeah. why it's, and that's, that's why, and that's what people struggle with, I guess, when, when, when they, end, when they yeah. enter this world. And when I was listening to you in some other, in some other podcasts, you were talking about the consensual and non-consensual and the yeah. difference between it and how can it liberate men in their, you know, self-expression and in, in, in their free expression and allow them to grow their masculinity. Okay, and those are like three questions. So let's start with the, the idea that uh, the dominant is the winning position and the submissive is the losing position. Okay. So the first conversation that pretty much happens in my workshop is about trying to uh, discuss what it means to have consensual domination and submission compared to non-consensual domination and submission. And the proposition that you just mentioned very much belongs in the non-consensual column. When domination and submission is non-consensual, it is very much the case that whoever is in the dominant position, I mean, it's almost by definition, you can say whoever is winning is the dom and whoever is losing is the sub. It's pretty much how we define the terms. It's not even saying the doms win and the subs lose. It's like whoever wins, wins whoever wins is the victor and whoever loses is a loser and these are zero-sum games that uh, are happening in real life all the time right when uh, i got static here I don't know what's going on so it's very understandable that obviously if that's your understanding of what dominance and submission is nobody in their right mind would want to occupy the submissive position why would you want to be a loser why would you want somebody else to just walk all over you or take advantage of you? Nobody wants to do that. We are not insane people. So obviously that is not what we are doing in this realm. That is not around what we are building a sustainable relationship, whether it's, whether it's component is erotic or whether it's component is really a relational, like a love romantic relationships. You wouldn't do that if one person was like constantly losing. It, it would, would make, wouldn't even make any sense. But it's very understandable that that's the concern. That uh, it's almost like a first chakra question. That if 
if the dominant is the winning position and the submissive is the losing position, why in the hell would I want to take on the losing position? And the answer is you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And the glitch is that's not what consensual domination and submission is. Consensual domination and submission is not about playing a zero-sum game in which there is one loser and one winner. It is about really a co-conspiracy of two people creating games and creating play and creating a form of relating that is not only fulfilling to both of them, but it gives them access to parts of their, certainly parts of their erotic makeup. And I'm pretty woo-woo about it. I would say to a certain degree, a part of their archetype and their soul, which is seeking expression, which really thrives in a healthy, in a consensual, in a vibrant and functioning BS dynamic. So does that, does that answer that question? Yeah. It's a bigger, it's a bigger conversation. This is also why it's great if people come in for a little bit of a training instead of just objecting to all this standing, you know, it's like they're standing outside the building yelling in and we're like, we are actually not in disagreement. You are just have misconception of what's going on in this room. Hmm, How about you come in and we have a little chat and then you can decide. Yeah. What I mean? Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, like try on what consensual DS is. Most people don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. The only framework the brain has is for non-consensual DS. And in non-consensual DS, it's a zero-sum game. There's one winner and one loser. And by definition, we would say simply the way we use language, whoever wins, we would say they dominated. Yeah. I dominated. And the loser is like, you lost, buddy. Your face in the mud. When you're in a fight, when you're in a competition, when you're in a race, that game can be fun to play. Winners and losers, competition. It's not a good game to play in relationships. It's not a good game to play in, in any area with where people, you know, where you have to live with people, where you want to create warmth and any kind of relationship with anyone. You don't want to play winners and losers games. You don't want to be surrounded by people who are losing around you. It doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're talking about when we yeah. do this play. So, relating. so if consensual dominate, if consensual DS is based on, on basically win-win for both sides, how, how does the, the, the submissive mode wins? Or how, how do they, how do they, how do they gain from, from the interaction? They get exactly what they want. The dom sub game, at least in my book, the way I teach it, is about giving the submissive what the submissive wants. Isn't creating a journey for the submissive. Isn't creating erotic expression for the submissive. The mastery of the dom, one of the masteries of the dom is in getting off on doing exactly that. The way doms win in consensual DS is they succeed in moving their submissive system in a positive way. We, and you know, we can segue, you mentioned before we call a little bit about Shabari, and that's like a great entry point into talking about that, right? Maybe we should talk about it. So let's take that as a very gentle example of what consensual DS looks like. I think everybody can imagine a little rope scene in this age, right? Even if you have not done it, you can imagine, maybe, I don't know whether you can, but let's just say a rope scene in which all that the Dom and Sub are doing is the Dom is tying up the submissive and trying to move that submissive into what we refer to as subspace, into a kind of a lovely internal 
coherent space. Okay, so if that is a nice example of what consensual DS looks like, observe what's happening in that scene. What is the Dom doing? The Dom is bringing his or her skills with rope into the play. They've acquired this skill, why? Because they wanna move their submissive system in some way. They wanna bring this skill and mastery to a submissive. Why is the submissive there? They love being tied up. Why do they love being tied up? Because when they get tied up, they feel they really drop in. They come into their body, their mind quiets down. Essentially, they are moved into a more positive state. And the Dom's mastery is in creating this transition in their submissive. And that's fantastic. That's what a consensual DS scene looks like in, a, in, a, in a one framework. Mm -hmm. And you both come out winning in the end because the Dom feels I really handled my submissive and hopefully there's some appreciation and some circuit of energy between the submissive and Dom because the submissive receives something from the Dom. Mm -hmm. There's at least some gratitude and graciousness. And the submissive got to take a wonderful ride. It could have been just a peaceful ride. It could have been an erotic ride, but it certainly is catered towards moving the submissive system. This is why when people do DS for a while, they understand being a submissive is a position of privilege. It's completely the opposite of the fear people have when they have a non-consensual framework of DS and they think the submissive position is the losing position. You do DS for a while and you realize, man, the submissive position is like the fun position. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it the predetermined somehow biologically or psychologically that one person is dumb and the other person is sub or is it like is anyone capable of switching at any time? You know I don't even bother dealing with that. My, my, my approach is like very pragmatic. My approach to my students is listen I have a whole set of ways in which you can occupy the dominant sub archetypes. In my classes all the students take turns occupying both archetypes. And my invitation is try these on, see how they feel in your system, see what discoveries you make about yourself. And you decide, you decide what you want to do. I have absolutely zero agenda on, on that aspect of people's desires, their makeup. My offer is come try things out and figure out. You may, you may decide you don't want either position. I'm completely okay with that. I have no proselytizing agenda. Mm -hmm. It's more of a sharing thing. This has really worked for me. I think this has been an amazing discovery. The places people can go to in a consensual domination and submission dynamic. I think it can be a lot of fun. I think it can create a lot of warmth and love between people. So I'm like, I'm doing this. And I'm like, I found something and I want to share it. Mm -hmm. And my invitation to people is if you are interested, I will, I will give you my recipe for what has worked for me. And it's not the only recipe. It's not the only correct recipe. There are many amazingly brilliant teachers and thinkers and practitioners of dominance and submission. And they probably, none of us probably agree with each other 100%. And I'm completely okay with that. I'm gonna show, share with you what has worked for me. You try things out and you, the rest is entirely up to you. What works for you, what doesn't work for you, you that's your sole inquiry. I have no say in that, I, don't, I really don't care quite frankly. It's too much to carry for my students. I'm too lazy as a teacher and a dom. I don't want to carry that much. I'm like, you come into this, you try things out, you see what works for you and you take it and get the hell out. I don't really care afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
To me, it was quite difficult to imagine until you mentioned in one podcast the analogy with the dentist. That when you that when someone comes to a dentist, what you basically submit to the mastery and to the to the to the skill of the dentist. And the dentist from a down position is adjusting your is adjusting your mouth and your teeth, and both parties are winning. Well, it's a really not a great example. <laughs> Going to a dentist isn't really fun. But <laughs> yeah. I'm not I mean, sure which podcast I spoke that in. I've, I have a feeling, I don't remember it, but I have a feeling there must have been more in the context of that. But yeah, it was in context of masculinity and mastery, but, but I related that to the, to the DS as well. Well, I think uh, good DS scenes are a lot more fun than a visit to a dentist. <laughs> but the part about surrendering to somebody's mastery part is correct, and we do that all the time. Yeah. Because we feel they can benefit from it because we feel the mastery can serve us in some way. Yeah. So if, if you, okay, if I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember talking about the dentist analogy, but if I were to push that analogy, I would take it in this context, which is there are times in DS play and more advanced DS play, what the practitioners would refer to as edge play, where you in fact are entering areas in your psyche and maybe doing things to your body that on the surface may look painful, that may look uncomfortable. If you watch people do humiliation play, you may, you may be shocked. You're like, why are they doing this to each other? Maybe as much as if you see somebody receiving heavy impact play, you're like, why is that person asking for that much pain? Okay. So maybe from the outside, it may look crazy to you, but if you're on the inside, you're doing it consensually because you know that there are, sorry, my cats always interfere. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> they love the keyboard. But if somebody understands that they need to go deeper into pain or they even need to go deeper into humiliation because there are pieces they need there. There's freedom that's waiting for them there. There's turn on that's waiting for them there. And then they surrender consensually surrender, not only surrender, really request it of their dom that they take them into those darker places. So that that part of it may fit better with like the dentist analogy, where you know this is going to be unpleasant. This is going to be unpleasant, but I, I trust this person. They know my system better than I do. Mm-hmm. Part of me, I can't fix this, right? They can, and it may be difficult. It may be painful. This is going to be a very unpleasant hour or 90 minutes but it's got to be done. And I know it's benefiting me overall. I'm doing this for myself, roughly. Yeah. So yeah. that part of it, maybe, if you if you extend the analogy in that direction. But I mean, for, for moment to moment, hopefully every scene should not feel like you're, going, you're sitting in the dentist chair because there's a lot of softer and more fun fun reasons to do it. It's not always about going into something difficult or challenging but it can be part of that yeah what are some of the psychological benefits your students claim having from entering and having ds experience if there is such thing i mean there i think there are many of them i think this is a long discussion we could do an entire podcast on all the psychological openings and unlockings people have when they enter into DS play, one of the most uh, prominent one and maybe one of the most general areas would be integration, which is, you know, I, I say this in my classes, Lori Handlers and I teach our classes in Tantra Mies BDSM and this is something we probably mention in every class. 
which is we actually have no agenda in adding anything onto our students. We don't have, we really have zero agenda. Quite frankly, we don't really care. I, I know that sounds cold, but we don't really care what your makeup is. Our desire for the people who come in is that they make self-discoveries. We are not actually sitting here selling you ideas and concepts. The goal is for you to discover parts of you that already exist that may be disintegrated from your persona, from your personality, from your identity, from your day-to-day -day living, because either you have buried those desires because you find them inconvenient or something to that effect. You know, basically those, those parts are not, and conventionally we call this your shadow. That's yeah. how I define the shadow, not as some dark bugaboo in the closet. It's like, these are parts of you that already exist in you, but they're uncomfortable for your persona, for your personality to integrate, right? You don't want to admit you get off on this thing. So you're pushing it aside. And one of the, because you feel if you integrated this, if people saw you doing this, it would, they would judge you. They would think you're a bad person. They would think blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you divide yourself, you hide this part of yourself. And the, one of the biggest, actually one most wonderful things that can happen is people find a way to integrate those parts. Mm -hmm. People find a way to bring those parts into their whole and they, they, they are more whole and they are more coherent. Quite frankly, they're happier when they do that because it takes a lot of energy to realize I have this turn on, I have this curiosity. I have this fantasy, you keep reading it or watching porn, you're masturbating to it, but you don't want anybody to know, I get off on this thing. And it creates a lot of havoc in people's lives. It's, it really creates a lot of bullshit in people's lives. Half the time, the coaching I'm offering people, I'm cleaning this shit up for people. Because this is what they will do. This is what they will do. Let's say a woman discovers her turn on with DS play. Let's say she discovers her turn on with submission. Let's say that she discovers her turn on that when she's spanked or her hair is pulled, or she's called X, Y, and Z. Wow, it's fireworks in the sex department. She knows she gets off on it, but she doesn't want to admit it, right? She yeah. doesn't admit to herself. She doesn't bring it up with new lovers she, because that's, that's not the girl she wants to be known as, right? So her persona is completely different. So she, she finds lovers, she starts relationships, and that's not the persona she presents. She presents a completely, you know, quote unquote, wholesome vanilla persona. But eventually the deeper desire is that my lover be able to handle me in all these areas, that my lover actually understand my eros and that I have access to these parts of myself. So in the middle of the relationship, the woman will start to drop hints or poke the guy trying to get him to dom her, to handle her. And this often ends in disaster because the guy is the wrong guy. The guy or she attracted is not ready to handle her in all those areas. It's really a bait and switch women are pulling. Why? Because their true desires are in shadow. Yeah. They're not putting it up front saying, listen, these are my desires. Can you handle me here? And this creates a lot of misery in people's lives. I have literally, I can't tell you how many long-term married couples we have had to tackle this with and it's actually i'll admit it my success rate in that area is very low 
It's like one of the biggest challenges I haven't been able to hack. When long-term couples come to me, and usually it's always the women who halfway through, the, not halfway, whatever, into their relationship, says, I have these desires. I need you to dom me. I need you to do these things. And the man is like, what the fuck? Who are you? This is not, this is not who we agreed we were going to be together. I, I don't have any training in this. I don't understand your desires in this. And by the by, my entire culture is telling me that to be the kind of man you're asking me to be is absolutely horrible. Yeah. That men should not treat women like this in any circumstances. So what the hell is going on here? It creates a lot of pain and it creates a lot of pain. Initially, the source of it is, in this case, it's, not, it's like men have their own problems too, so please don't think only women are in shadow. In this example, because one was in shadow about her desires in this area and she, her, her identity, her personality, her persona could not integrate it. And it, later on, it creates havoc. It creates problems. Yeah. Right. So if you can integrate that and find a way to be who you are in a more coherent way, I think your odds of actually getting what you want in life are higher. I see. Yeah. And do you think that this particular example that you mentioned, is that the matter of, of nature or from your experience, is that the matter of nature of the man that he doesn't want to explore those parts of himself? No, I very much think for the men, it's very cultural. We are, we are drowning in a narrative that any aggression in masculinity is horrible, that any dominance in masculinity is horrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm my, the men I coach are like deeply confused and troubled by this double nature of like, well, society is telling us all the pieces of our being that come out when you step into our dom with our women, they are being forbidden and shunned. In society right now mm-hmm. and so they are also deeply confused like of how to integrate because they are they haven't had the chance to integrate that in a nice smooth way in their system either you know what i mean yeah it's like listen it's, it's like this i don't know I, I, let me try and pull another analogy out of my ass i think it's like it's like, it's like look, 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 take this analogy imagine i don't know if this is a perfect analogy imagine you see a uh, uh, a beautiful, uh, you know, lightweight, heavyweight champion boxer, right? Some famous name. Muhammad yeah. Ali, I don't know boxing that well. But some famous name. Yeah, yeah that boxer, yeah, does, does that boxer go along, go out just beating everybody up? No. Yeah. Does that boxer go into every bar and pick a fight? No. You got to pay that man to fight him. Right. Rest of the time, he's probably like a celebrity. He's hanging out. He's having his pictures taken. He's living his life. He's doing charities. He's not going around punching people. Even though the core of his profession, his calling is, he's a fucking prize fighter. Yeah. Right? As simple as that model is, that's what, that's as simple as uh, integrated aggression looks like. It's not people going crazy and berserk. Right? You don't want to step in the ring with that man. <laughs> right? <laughs> If you do, then you're on his turf. If you really are entering a fight with that man. The rest of the time, the guy's like easy going and funny and charming. I'm thinking, the only person I can think of with Muhammad Ali. Like how charming, how funny, how witty he was. Yeah. Okay, so that's what, but if if you forbid boxing in a culture, if you forbid, no man should ever hit any other man. There should be no physical violence in our culture. Men should never even enter this energy. 
of their aggression with each other under any circumstances, you're actually going to create men who are completely imbalanced about their aggression. Yeah. Those men are more likely to go to a fucking bar, drink out of their fucking heads, and then let loose and end up in the hospital or the morgue. Because their entire aggression has been pushed into the shadow. And nothing ever gets pushed back permanently. It's going to find a way to leap out at some point. When it does, it's going to be a goddamn mess. Yeah. Right? Osho used to say this thing. It's very, very, very uh, poignant to this point. Osho would say, I have met the most, some of the most peaceful men I have met have been butchers and hunters. Mm. Why? Because they don't make a big deal out of killing. And they're not rampant murderers. They're not going around just shooting everything in sight. They actually love the animals. They're very reverent towards it. They're not crazy people. They don't kill more than necessary. They use everything they kill. They understand. Okay, if you're going to eat meat, this is how it has to be done. And they mm -hmm. actually can be very almost, they can bring an element of sacredness. And I would see this in India. We had, yes, India is a lot vegetarian, but we also eat meat. But I would go with my father to the markets. And back then, you know, at least there weren't any refrigerations. Animals were in the back. And if you wanted something, they would literally put the animal out, especially if it was a chicken, clean things in front of you and hand it to you. Everything was done that day. Mm -hmm. And I would feel the solemnity, the, the ease. I grant you, not every butcher, not every hunter is like that, but there is a possibility there that if you integrate this, you don't have to be crazy and berserk about it. Yeah. But the trouble I'm running into with my men is they have been told any aspect of your aggression, if it comes out, is horrible. Yeah. So they actually are having a harder time integrating this and finding ease with it. To the point where it's literally absurd. To the point where their wife and girlfriend is sitting next to them and saying, please spank my ass. And the boy says, I can't hit women. Okay. It's sad. I mean, and woman is saying, if I don't get what I'm longing for in this dynamic, including some spanking, let's just leave it at spanking. It's pretty PG rated. I have to go find it elsewhere. And the men are basically sitting on their hands and saying, I can't be the guy who hits women. Yeah. And I think that's where things have gone. They become non functional between men and women in that department. Yeah. And do you think this, this, integration of masculine aggression when it happens in one area it starts to spill over in the in the other so for instance it doesn't really matter if you go into boxing or bdsm once you start to discover this like once men start to discover this inner aggression in me and allow myself to come it out and just do it somewhere in a consensual and controlled way it automatically spills over to the areas with women for instance and business i would say it's the opposite i would say it's the opposite that when something is in shadow it comes bursting out randomly. But when you have integrated it, you actually are in charge of it. I don't think, then you have it and it doesn't have you. When you push it in the shadow, it has you and you don't know when the monster is coming out. This is, you know, this is the essential geometry of what shadow looks like. This is the archetypical story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, I, I think I, missed, I, I meant something control. else. Well, well, maybe I didn't ask it in the right way. What I meant is that um, 
like there's only one aggression as a as a like a, as a concept or some virtue virtue inside the person and it doesn't really matter in which way you integrate it once you integrate it through boxing you can you can allow yourself to to use this aggression proactively in a controlled way in other areas like business women and so on this is what i meant I don't think sense? it's automatic. I don't think it's automatic, but I think it certainly is an easier segue from one area of your life to another. I don't think it's automatic. I'll tell you why. Easiest example of this is I have coached soldiers mm -hmm. and they still can't handle their women. I see. So yeah, I'm like, I'm talking about badass people. I'm talking about people who are courageous beyond what I'm capable of doing. People who have been in battle, They've been tested and they've been amazingly courageous and uh, powerful in those areas. And they've done very brave things, fearless things. And yet they are not able to integrate that part of themselves in their eras. Because again, there's, if anything, they create the narrative that they may bring the same havoc into their relationship that was present out in the battlefield. Yeah. They want to separate that part of themselves. They want to reserve their aggression for the battlefield. And they're terrified that if that showed up anywhere locally in their domestic life, it would be as bloody as it is out there. And I don't think, I think that's a fear more than a completely integrated state. But I don't think it's automatic that it, integration in one area means integration in the other area. Okay, I see. And, um, I think this suppressed aggression is is one of the basic traits of of what what Dr. Glover, Glover calls a nice guy. They they don't, they never allow themselves to show their aggression because because they just want to be nice, whatever it takes. Yeah. Do you have any? Um, is, could you tell that there is like like one common thing that's really helpful for nice guys to move out from this narrative to to, to somehow push? Yeah. Through sure. I have one great piece of advice to nice guys, which is stop lying. Nice guys are full of shit. They're full of shit because they are constantly in a persona. It's not that they're not feeling things or they don't have aggression. They're just suppressing it all the time. And suppressing it all the time, especially when you are presenting yourself, especially to a woman, you're lying. You're essentially lying about who you are. Stop doing that. It's, it's really a bad form. It's a good general advice for masculinity in general. And what, what is your fear in there? Your fear is I'm going to be disliked for who I am. Take that chance. I think it's a core piece of masculinity. Be who you are and take the risk that some people are going to dislike you for who you are. Don't go out seeking fights. You don't have to go the extra mile to be an asshole or piss anyone off. But if you genuinely are this person and you are in harmony within yourself if you're in if you if you are in disharmony within yourself then first come into harmony first be a kind of person that you feel i think i'm, I'm a pretty good human being i feel pretty good about who i am as a person if you're if you're not in that space then do your own work first but if you have found that harmony then be who that person is be who that man is in the world and if some people dislike you for it that's just the way it goes that's just the way it goes. If you're completely invested and nobody may ever think badly of me, I think those are the people I trust the least because they, they basically, I don't know who they are. 
they don't show me who they are because they're managing my perception of them constantly. They are trying to control how I think about them by not showing me who they really are. Yeah. And I don't trust that. That puts up a red flag in my head. Yeah. That's the guy I don't want to turn my back to. As harmless as he may look, that's the guy I don't trust. Compared to a big, loud guy, opinionated guy, I'm like, I know who that guy is. I know where he's coming from. Yeah. I know how to stay out of his way. I know how to engage him. And I can make the decisions about him face to face. I don't need to worry about that guy. I'll see him coming. Yeah. Makes a, makes a perfect sense. I, I wonder how, and how, how do you handle the objections that people have? Because I, I, that, that's the objection that would come in my, in, in my mind, probably. If there are some things that you have been, that, that you have been hiding for, let's say, 20 years, because yeah. they, 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 they couldn't be accepted with your parents and the society when you were younger, and suddenly you get an advice, just don't lie. Like there's this, like the, it's, See, it's not just fear of not lying. It's, it's like fear of losing the whole existence because like such a huge thing. It is. It is. There's a balance. There's a balance piece of, there is a, there's such a thing as discernment. I don't walk into a room and tell people I teach workshops in BDSM and blah, blah, blah. Because that also is like not having social skills. I don't think, I don't think the two are equivalent. I can be integrated in my own desires and know who I am. It doesn't mean I'm walking around carrying a sign about who I am and pushing that in everybody's face. I don't want to do that either. That's like really impolite. But I don't think one automatically means the other. I'm not saying be in everybody's face about who you are. But if you're going to ask me, oh, what do you do? I'm going to tell you. And if you ask me further about that, as you are here, I'll tell you. I don't want to be in shadow to that point. Doesn't mean I go around pushing who I am into everybody's face. I'm actually a pretty introverted person. I don't, so I don't think one means the other. And if there are cases where you're like, listen, I don't think my family can handle this part of me. Exercise discernment. Not everybody, everything is for everyone. There's a very big difference between saying, listen, I need to make sure this part of my life doesn't overlap with my work environment, with my colleagues, blah, blah, blah. I'm completely fine with that. I'm completely fine with having a kind of an area of privacy around this exploration. But within the zone of privacy, you should know who you are. Yeah. That's the core piece. I'm not saying be, be loud in the world. I'm not, you know, that's not the advocacy. Know who you are. And if you know who you are, then it is, that is lovely to find community. Find, the, find your people. This is the this is the thing I, I talk about when or I, I talk with I, I talk about with guys when it comes to, to dating that they don't need to tell any pickup lines any learned things any manipulation because that, that's pure pure man, manipulation just hiding behind some words which are fake so the only thing you need to say is the truth just go there and tell the truth what you what you really think and what you really mean what what what, is, what gets difficult sometimes is that they they suppress their real desires and thoughts and feelings so deep that they are struggling with pulling them out actually on, on the surface and getting and knowing what the truth really is right. so what, what what would be your advice for 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 this like when it comes to and it comes to eat like easy things like or like like little things like dating or i, I mean i don't mean little things but like simple yeah. things 
my advice to men, and I, I grant you, I'm, I'm a straight man. I advise mainly, I, my work is mainly in man, woman relating, but I think, so I'm gonna speak in that reference, especially as men going out on dates with women, men trying to make an impression on women. Within the man-woman context, I consistently tell the men I'm coaching, women are built to figure out who men are. Women are walking lie detectors for men. Good luck lying to them. Good luck trying to fool women about who you are as a man. Their evolutionary art, their survival depends on figuring out who this man is before they decide to bond with him, before they decide to commit to him. So it is, it is actually not a great zone to enter into saying, I'm gonna fool this woman. It's really not a, it's, you can succeed at it. There are men, there are very skilled people, you know, that can be almost border on narcissistic and sociopathic and they're amazing at just creating a persona that people buy but it is not a great way to live in my opinion. That's the extreme end of it. And even at the non-extreme end of it, if you're working so hard to present a false persona once again, so the woman across from you will like you today on this first, second, third date, but the persona you're presenting is not in congruence with who you really are, you are just setting up disaster because women will figure out who you are soon enough. They're built for it. They, they're, they are constantly observing you and they will constantly notice discrepancies between what you say and what you do and who you are and you won't be able to lie to them for too long so it's a really bad game to play it's an inefficient game to play it is not good for your soul as a man to play that game yeah so by all means you know present yourself well be charming and be as charming and appealing and whatever but don't lie to that degree don't present a false persona, don't try to be somebody you're not. It won't work anyway. It is, it is a thing that destroys relationships after a certain point where people figure out who you really are and think things are not gonna work at that point. I mean, what's your plan anyway? You're planning on maintaining a false persona for six months, a year, two years, three years, five years with this woman? What's your long-term plan? Or are you only presenting a false persona just to get laid tonight? If you are, I'm not your guy. Go deal with pickup artists on how to just get the first lay. I'm, I'm, I don't have any particular interest in like helping men do that. I don't think it's a great game for men to play, to like present a false persona just to seduce and then move on to the next one. It's really not what I'm interested in or what I'm teaching. And if you're interested in creating real relationships, then you got to show people who you are and then let them decide. And it's just more efficient that way, quite frankly. Yeah. Let's to clean up afterwards. Yeah. I, I would like to ask you about, about this, this nice guy thing, because, because when someone is a nice guy from, from and actually most are from, from early childhood, because they got it conditioned from their family, it's really difficult to see it. Because it's like when a fish lives its whole life in a dirty water in the aquarium, it doesn't really know that the water is dirty. So what are the, the social slash cultural narratives that they've been told to that they are believing unconsciously, not really being aware of it and really holding to them tightly? That's preventing to be, to be real and to, to live a real lives. 
this may sound crazy to you, but I'll tell you what I perceive. Right. This answer is going to get me in trouble more than any questions about DS. This is what I'm observing. I think single motherhood is playing a huge part in this. I think boys being raised by women only is playing a big part in this. I think boys who are raised only in a feminine environment are more susceptible to the disease of being a nice guy. I think women alone do a lousy job of raising their sons. I think men need a template for masculinity and has to come from a really embodied masculine source. It is not something you can just teach. It is not lines and words and principles you can transmit. They need to see it embodied, what that looks like. And part of the problem that happens is that when you only have a feminine guiding, guiding principle, even if your mother was a good mother, a lot of single mothers are not good mothers. A lot of single mothers are actually quite pissed off at men and masculinity. They are transmitting that to their boys. And parcel and package of that is they take the teeth and the aggression out of their own sons because they're terrified of it in masculinity in general. Those mothers have not integrated. They have not learned to deal with fully embodied men. So if they have not been able, they have not built their feminine container to dance with the fully embodied masculine container with their damaged feminine container, they're raising sons. And I would say, if you really want to put those women on the couch, I would say those mothers are terrified of their, of the darker aspects of their, their son's masculine archetype. They are not in favor of their sons coming fully into their masculinity because their aspects of their masculinity, those single mothers are terrified of. And the response to that is, let's create toothless boys. Let's create harmless boys. Let's create nice boys. And mind you, there's nothing wrong with boys being nice. There's nothing wrong with boys being gentlemen. There's nothing wrong with boys being amazingly civil and lovely and soft and being in touch with their emotions. I believe all those are completely genuine aspects of an integrated masculine archetype. But then this becomes a shadow piece. You're so terrified of masculine darkness and aggression. You haven't learned to dance with it yourself. And so you bleed it out of your sons. You beat it out of your sons. You pour enough disapproval into their systems till that part of them quiets down and they think, well, this part of my masculinity is really not good because all my mothers, sisters, and teachers, teachers are also surrounded by women are telling me these parts of masculinity are toxic. Like, what, what do you get? You get nice boys who are in shadow about their darker masculine aspects. So there's, there are like layers and layers on why this is happening. Anything that is happening at a cultural scale can't be an accident. You know what I mean? It's not coming out of one household. It's not coming out of one neighborhood. It's not coming out of one culture. This is a global problem at this point. I mean, how did that happen? It happened because boys are being raised by mothers. Because the fathers have gone missing. Because boys are not growing up with the template of a fully embodied man. The man who is capable of being dangerous, but who is not running around berserk. 
a father who can get angry, a father you should fear disappointing and angering if the father is sane, if the father is just, if the father is loving. But the father is supposed to bring solid boundaries and you should know it is a bad idea to disappoint a good father. There are boundaries, there are limits, and beyond that there are consequences. And there is a transmission that happens from embodied grown men to boys that simply has gone missing. And in the absence of it, you're creating toothless boys. You're creating harmless boys. And what is the darker end of that result? The boys that these single mothers are raising are unattractive to their peers. The women, the girls don't want those boys. And it's a mess. It's kind of a mess, but it's not, it is not coming out of nowhere. Not being able to integrate all aspects of masculinity is like the core pandemic in our society right now. And it shows, has many symptoms that come out of it. And the nice guy is one of the bigger symptoms. Yeah. Um, I think for, for the nice guys who are, or for the guys who identify themselves as, as nice guys listening, I think it, 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 can be, it can be difficult to imagine that they even have this aggressive part within themselves because they, they say that they're proud of never freaking out, never yelling, never shouting, never being angry. So when you, when you tell that, that every man has this part within themselves, for them it can be kind of hard to believe. What would, you, what would be your advice to them or how, how would you treat this? You know, I think we need to actually take a step backwards and reframe aggression because we keep thinking aggression is a masculine quality. And I think that is a really bad premise to start with. Right. I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson has talked about this. And again, he's not talking out of his ass. First of all, the man is brilliant. Second of all, the man is a scientist. Everything he talks about is backed up by science. And one of the things he points out many times over is men and women have the same quantity of aggression in their system. It is absurd. It is, it is, it is ridiculous, polyanic to think women don't have any aggression in them. Are you fucking out of your mind? Women are fucking killers as much as men are killers. But we are built differently and our aggression comes out in different ways. With men, it may come out physically because we are physical creatures. With women, there is as much aggression and it comes out and can be as cutting, as destroying, as dark as any masculine violence, physical violence. Women are masterful at destroying reputations. They can set entire houses on fire simply by their talking. Their words are their knives. Their ability to convince people and create consensus against somebody. That's how they wage war. They don't pick up clubs because if they did, they would lose those fights most of the time against men. But they're amazingly efficient at destroying men by destroying their reputations. And they are able to do it in such a way where they don't even leave their fingerprint on the murder weapon. You won't even know where the rumor started. You won't even know where the initial thing came from, where the initial arrow came from. And before you know it, men are destroyed in their honor, in their respect, in their public opinion. So let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit and stop thinking that aggression is, a, is a something that God only gave to men and we are just struggling to deal with it. 
you really want to deal with the darkness of aggression, you really have to deal it everywhere. But men's aggression is, is uh, outbound. It's extroverted. Yeah. yeah? It, it looks like physical violence. When men get, come to blows, they come to blows. When women come to blows, they kill each other with a thousand cuts. And half the time, you can't track down the knife. They're better at it than we are. Yeah. So let's first of all look at aggression as a human quality and then start integrating it and making room for it everywhere. If you make room for it, you can wield it and call it out. If you don't, it's not like you can reduce the sum total quantity of aggression in our system. That's really never, never going to happen. You can push as you can like you have a decision how much of how much of this thing you're gonna push into the shadow, how much of this you're gonna integrate. That's that's pretty much the only choice you have. You really yeah. can't change human beings at a fundamental, essential level. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I forgot your initial question in this context. Yeah, the initial question was that, uh, but anyway, I, I I think what you said serves serves the question. Uh, but the 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 initial question was how can men who have really, really suppressed their aggression, how can they start to even believe that there is aggression within them if they never had experience of it before? You know, the gentlest advice I would have for them if they were actually coming in to do my work would be <clears throat> do emotional release work. Emotional yeah. release. Laurie Handlers is brilliant at teaching people emotional release at moving the system. And this is great for like releasing old pain, it's great for releasing old trauma, it's great for releasing whatever is stuck in your system. So instead of telling you or giving you any wild, crazy advice of go and do this in the world, no, just deal with your own system first. Move your own system, do emotional release, do bioenergetics, move your own emotions, and it'll dislodge things because it takes a lot of energy. If there is something, some real aspect of you that you have put a cork in, right it takes a certain amount of life energy to keep that cork in place and techniques of bioenergetics techniques of emotional release even if you do osho's dynamic meditations they can move these things they can start to move these things so you can finally start to feel things feel emotions you have suppressed to me men suppressing their emotion their aggression physically like somatically is not any different from let's say uh somebody close to you died and you haven't you haven't grieved properly so the grief is stuck in your system i think all emotions kind of work the same way something is inconvenient or too difficult to deal with in the moment so we bury it so release it integrate as many of your stuck emotions as possible and to me if you have worked so hard to suppress these parts of yourself give them some room to breathe let them come out and then you feel yourself what you've been hiding from yourself. You feel what you haven't dealt with. Do your own work, integrate it. And the more integrated you feel, it's almost like the more ready you are for company. The more, more ready you are to enter into a relationship. If you are filled with all these suppressions, it's gonna come spilling out in your relationships later on. You're gonna be more of a mess. Yeah. This is like one of the core aspects when I do coaching for men I have kind of divided into four or five modules and one the first one primary one is self-integration you have to clear out your own system you have to find out all the places where you have divided yourself it's it's pointless to give you relationship advice 
it's even pointless to teach you DS play because if you do DS play while you're completely disintegrated, you're just going to create a mess. It's just going to magnify what's already there, right? Say it again. It's it's just going to magnify what's already there. It's going to the thing that's already there is going to come bursting out at really the most inopportune times, and you're you're going to create a mess. Oftentimes, are you going to are you going to project it? That's the worst scenario where what's in you, you're going to project it outside. It's your aggression, but you will project it on outside and say the other person is being aggressive and it can become, yeah, that's how shadow protection, protection works. Jung did brilliant work on this. So it's, it's something to really watch out for. Yeah. So you also noticed the, and you spoke about the, the feminine aggression, you and, and and about the the, the words play and what, what what they can do with words it's quite obvious how men could can integrate their aggression through physical activities like boxing yeah. or, or anything where they can give their give their aggression space yeah. what can what can you do or what can women do to integrate this kind of aggression you talked about i mean awareness really see we have lost this 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 a conversation is going to sound really really old school but i think we need to bring in some of the old virtues this is uh here's the thing if you actually are wise enough to realize how aggression works in both men and women you can introduce cultural aspects uh familial aspects that help integrate these parts so a simple example let's say a boy comes into his teenage years and he grows big all of a sudden yeah we all happen to all of us a growth growth spurt all of a sudden you're a lot stronger right you're a lot stronger yeah. than your your sisters all of a sudden you're a lot stronger than your younger brothers and if you use this strength and you just start beating people up right your teachers your mother your father they're all going to grab you by your neck and say no we don't do that just because you can beat someone up doesn't mean you beat them up. You don't just go using your strength willy-nilly on people. In fact, use your strength to protect your sisters and your little brothers, right? Use it for good. Use it honorably. Strength, you've been given physical strength all of a sudden, going from a boy to a man. Use that strength judiciously. Use it wisely. Use it to protect. Use it to do physical labor. Use it to get things done. Use it to be useful to your tribe. Use your strength well. We know you're, you can use that strength towards destruction, but don't use it towards destruction and bullying and creating misery in the world. Use it in a positive, constructive way. Women can be amazingly magical in the way they use their words and the way they impact the people around them. They can create cohesion. They are really amazing at being in touch with what's happening in the emotional lives of people around them. So that quality in itself is not evil, but it has the potential for evil, just as physical strength. Women can be the glue of a tribe. Women can be the glue of a family because they understand where the emotional tight spots are. And if they use their powers well, they can create more harmony understand yeah they can tell a husband listen 
I think that argument you had with your brother last time is still lurking. I think you should, you guys should go out, have a few beers and clean it up. Women are amazingly good at bringing that intelligence to their men. And they can create harmony in families. They can create more harmony in their tribe. They can clean up where the crap is. Or they can use that same insight, that same capacity, that same emotional intelligence and sow poison around them. They can go send one word here to this woman, a hint. And they are, they are fucking ingenious at that. They're truly ingenious at that. They can really destroy lives without leaving fingerprints. Just hints and insinuations. And what did we have in the old days to prevent this poison, to prevent this dark aspect of the feminine intelligence? We had an ethic against gossip. It was a very strong ethic. It sounds very quaint today to say, don't gossip. A few decades ago, going back hundreds of years, not gossiping was really a core ethic. Any church, any sermon, any teacher, any spiritual leader would advise people, especially women, don't gossip. Don't use your word frivolously. Don't use your word poisonously. Don't spread rumors. That's all it takes. Oh, I heard that guy is fucking around on his wife. I can't confirm it. I heard it. Before you know it, every fucking woman in the tribe heard it. That guy's fucking around on his wife. That guy cheats on his taxes. That guy does, does, and does. Before you know it, that guy's dead in the tribe. Every woman will go tell her man, oh, I heard that man's not trustworthy. I don't think you should do business with him. It used to be a big fucking deal protecting our reputations because our livelihood, our place in the tribe depended on it. And women have the power to destroy those reputations. We know that. We knew that in the old wisdom. We still know it, but we've buried it. We've buried it to the degree where we are carrying moronic placards saying, believe all women. Are you out of your fucking mind? Lying is one of the darkest aspects of the dark feminine. Women are amazing liars. They're amazing at lying without leaving their fingerprint on the lie. They're amazing at changing public opinion around them without leaving their fingerprints on what they're doing. And if you do not acknowledge this aspect of the dark feminine, how they use their word for destruction instead of for creating harmony, you're idiot. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fall prey to it. And you're going to create discord in your tribe and not even know what the hell is happening. What's happening is that dark aspect of the feminine is running around doing its mischief, playing its power. Don't gossip was a big deal. Protecting a man's honor. Again, sounds like a very quaint idea. Men's reputation. Men used to duel each other. If you called a man something, if you made a false accusation about him, if you called him a coward, if you called him dishonorable, he's like at dawn, pistols. Now we may think that was very quaint. It wasn't quaint. Your reputation was your fucking currency in the world. If your reputation was destroyed, nobody would work with you. Nobody would loan you money. Nobody would give you their daughter as a, as a bride. You were done for. If you were thought of as a scoundrel, if you were thought of as a dishonorable man. So any challenge to your honor had to be protected. It was a matter of survival. We didn't take it easy when anybody tried to destroy anybody's reputation. 
But today we can get away with scot-free. Why? I'm just expressing myself and my opinion about somebody. And it can be really, really dark. Yeah. So again, that aspect of aggression in human beings and the feminine is actually running quite rampant right now. It is running scot-free. Whereas all the focus is on men should not be aggressive. And I'm like, we are in deep shadow as a society about feminine darkness and masculine darkness. Mm. We really, we have our heads over our asses right now. And for the political environment is such that, you know, the shit I'm saying here, I'm sure it's going to burn a lot of asses. People don't want to hear this shit. But try it out. Make your own observations. Mm. You don't have to believe me. It's Make happening around saying, yeah. you all over the place. It's the social media is like, it is like a goddamn boon to the dark feminine. Before they actually had to speak things with their own fucking mouths and still find a way to not leave their fingerprints. Today, you've opened up social media and they can literally just pour out their poison without leaving their fingerprints on it. And if you think that aggression is not happening, and you know who suffers most from this aspect of the dark feminine? Other women. It doesn't even reach the men most of the time. I would say at least 80% of the time, women are just destroying other women through their words, through their gossip. That's how they are. That's how they are climbing with their claws up the feminine hierarchies. Women have always done this. That bitch is higher than me in the hierarchy. Let me try and destroy her reputation and bring her down. Slut shaming is part of that. It really isn't about sex. It's like, what can I do to that woman to knock her down in the hierarchy so I can climb higher? I can use my, my words in a certain way. I can start a rumor. I can start a gossip. And girls younger and younger are suffering from this in social media, gossiping about each other, destroying each other's reputation. For the sake of the, if you have daughters, you should really be interested in this conversation because their mental health is really suffering because of this darkness, because of the way girls destroy each other online. That's aggression. That's complete, pure fucking aggression. And if you don't even have the stomach to call it that, you're not going to be able to address it in any way, real way. If you think girls are just all perfect and sunshine and rainbows, and they don't have this aggression and destructive power in them, you're naive. It, it's like, it, it sounds like when you, when you say aggression, it's this like raw alcoholic energy that's in you that's like wants to do something. And the moment you're in charge of it and in control of it, you can turn it into courage just by simply turning from win-lose to win-win, whether we talk about masculine or feminine, right? I think if you switch over to a win-win paradigm, that is like, it, it is a great uh, marker. It's a great, if you're doing that, it's hard to do evil. If you're only playing win-win games, I think you are in the light. You are trying to create more love and harmony and functionality in your personal life, in your community, in your society. But you're not playing win-lose games with people. I mean, I, I, get, I got touched when, when you were talking about this and it, it touched me on, on, on a deeper level because I was never, I never connected those dots so like in, a, such, a, in su such a complexity and you explained it very, very simply. So I think it's very important to say, it's very important to say the, the next thing, which is like, I think this can even, within some people, this can even create a little fear of, you know, doing the wrong thing. And instead of really speaking out with courage, is trying to hold themselves back so that they don't do harm. So I think like win-win paradigm is a, good, is a good way to frame this. It is. And I think the win-win paradigm is actually to explore deeper and deeper. I'm going to bring this 
back to DS exploration. So people from the outside may observe things people are doing in the DS realm and they can't compute it. They, they will think, let's say they see something more intense like humiliation play, which from the outside completely looks like win-lose. But when you enter it and you realize, oh my God, these people are still playing a win-win game, that this is completely in agreement. There's actually deep love and friendship underneath the surface of what the scene looks like on top. That can be mind-blowing to people. That there is no win-lose games. If this dynamic is functioning, if your scene is working, it can't be a win-lose game. And if you're playing win-win games, your capacity to really dig deep into human eros and explore things and play with things can be so amazing because you know you are kind of in a container of friendship and love and consent and play. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a great yeah, marker. Yeah. It's a great marker. What games are you playing in life? And especially if in your intimate, listen, again, I'm not category saying win, lose games are bad games. To me, I'm very much on the, on the chakra system. The games of the first center can often be win, lose games, like a direct competition, like a race. It's a win, lose game. There's going to be a winner and it's great. You watch a soccer match, you watch a football game. We want winners and losers. It's fucking great. But, but, it's a play, it's a game, it's an environment, it's a competition, and it makes us better. Nothing wrong with win-lose in, in, in a soccer match. Perfect. But if you're going to play win-lose games in your personal relationships, where if, if you win, your husband is losing, or if your husband wins, you're losing, if your husband gets a promotion and you're throwing a tantrum, or any other darkness like that is happening, that's disastrous. That's a goddamn misery. It's absolutely miserable when intimate partners are playing win-lose game. I talk about this over and over. If you feel your husband winning means you losing, or if your husband losing means you winning, you're fucked. I can't help you. Really, you're screwed. You, you better find a way to dismantle that structure in your intimate relationship. There is no rescuing from that. There, if you are ever happy when your partner is sad and miserable, your relationship is fucked. If you ever find yourself gloating when your partner is losing, clean that shit up. That's like at the basic level. If you don't stop playing those games, all the other education is fucking useless. It won't help. Change that mindset. Find a person with whom you win together and you lose together. When they win, you celebrate. When you win, they celebrate. And when they lose, you're like, man, what can we do to make this better? If you're not doing that in your relationships, you don't have a foundation. You don't have a leg to stand on. Don't come into DS play if that's the dynamic between the two of you. This is the most common disaster we have to deal with. And again, we have no solution for this. Men and women come to us with where they've been playing win-lose games in their relationships and then they come into DS play. And they cannot stop playing win-lose games within their scene. And I can't help you. This is completely disastrous. Doesn't really work. You know, one of the things that I had when I was learning Shibari was that when I was in the dominant position, I had this, I had this kind of guilt, right? like I'm doing something wrong. And I think this, this might come up for, or I'm, I'm curious about your, your experience, if it comes up, that it's such an autopilot. It comes up all the time. It comes up all the time. So, so if, if it's such a strong autopilot, how do you stop it? And how do you stop it even without DS? Like what can people do who find themselves being in the win-lose 
and unable to do seemingly unable to do anything with it the best remedy for it is to keep turning especially i'm going to speak only in the ds context especially in the ds context as a dom as a man again this is a this is a common problem this is all over the place where men feel guilty where men are in shadow the best marker for it is turn to your submissive and see if your submissive is in a good space in a happy space with what you're bringing and if they if they are in a happy space you need to get over yourself if you're doing harm stop doing what you're doing if you're not doing harm and if you're creating love and turn on keep doing what you're doing the proofs in the pudding if your mind keeps telling you being this way brings harm in the world except when you look at your partner and in the scene they're turned on and happy and saying more and more and more please then your conception concept the concepts in your head are where the error is not in your living to me trust what's happening in your life trust what's happening in your relationship is your relationship better because you're stepping into your dom if the answer is yes keep stepping into your dom i see okay thank you very much om for your time before we wrap up i wanted to uh invite you to share like where can people follow you how how can they how can they get to work with you you can just go to my website omrupani.org all the information is there i have classes all over the place i have a book I do personal coaching. So whatever information you can write to me from there, you can take it from there. Okay. Good.